Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed long to be a church that worship you not only when we gather like this, but in all of life to express through our words and actions and our lives together your worthiness, your excellence. And so, Father, we do pray now as you speak to us in your word that you would cause us uh, to live like that, cause us to walk humbly before you uh, in worship. And we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please take a seat. And it's, uh, it's worth, uh, as we continue this series in Hebrews 11, it's worth uh, having two passages uh, open in your Bibles. The first was that one verse uh, from Hebrews 11 that was read for us by Ian um, uh, 11 uh, verse 21, which is page 1209 of the church Bibles. That's, that's the sort of verse I guess we'll be focused on. Uh, but if you like, the backstory uh, behind that verse is uh, Genesis 48, which is on page 54 of the Bibles. Well worth having maybe um, a service sheet or the notice sheet or something uh, in that, because um, we'll, we'll refer to it a few times along the way. So having asked you to look at Hebrews 11.21 and Genesis 48, let me now read Hebrews 12, verse 1. This has become almost a theme verse for us in this series. Here it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This summer, this series has been all about having God's word encourage us to run the race of faith wholeheartedly and uh, with perseverance to fix our eyes, we're told in uh, Hebrews 12, on the object of our faith, that is Jesus. Now we are to be those who fix our eyes on him because it is in him and him alone that we are able to live lives of confident hope in this world. We are able to live those lives with eyes fixed on him because of his death for us. And because of his mighty resurrection for us. So simply this summer we have had this exhortation on our lips for one another. Let us run the race of faith. Uh, Run the race. Uh, It is a great sentiment, isn't it? A great encouragement. Uh, The sort of sentiment that in Christian circles has launched thousands upon thousands of Christian coffee mugs and posters and tea towels and you name it. I'm pretty sure as a younger boy I had a poster with these very words on it on my bedroom wall, run the race. Uh, But here's the problem and perhaps the danger of a series like that. We know the sentiment, we know the stirring encouragement to run the race. We can almost see the poster with a, a running track on it running the race of faith, but all too easily it remains just an abstract idea and no more than an idea that hangs on the wall of our lives, just like a dusty old poster, an idea that never touches down into real life. Run the race, yes, but how? We're inspired by the call, but I suspect all too easily we can become, as perhaps we have in recent weeks with the Olympics, uh, armchair runners, uh, running the race uh, from our chairs. Uh, But the witnesses that we've been looking at all throughout Hebrews 11, uh, and there's been one after another, hasn't there? They're meant to stir us, as I hope they have. But more than just stir us, more than just inspire us, as as a poster on a wall might, uh, have a look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. See in the verse who's doing the running. It's not the witnesses. that They are witnesses of us running. 
run the race, they're saying. And so if we're going to do that uh, authentically, if we're going to do that uh, not just as armchair runners but real-life runners, uh, we need to do the work of applying this call to run the race to our real lives. Uh, Asking what this uh, running faith will look like in all the different arenas of our life experience, our work arena, church family arena, as consumers, as people in the public square, as uh, family members. And what I want to do this morning through this uh, one verse in Hebrews eleven twenty one is I want to focus on one of these arenas with us, uh, the arena of family life, what it means to run the race as a family. And perhaps even more focused than that, what I want to do this morning is to look at what it means to run the race as a parent, the race of faith. And perhaps even more focused as we look at Jacob to run the race as a father. Uh, For there is perhaps no better example of faithful human fatherhood than we have here in Hebrews 11.21. Now as we uh, set to embark now on this uh, look at what faithful fatherhood is, running the race as a father, uh, let me say just at the start a a few caveats that I think are important. I suspect as we uh, talk about faithful fathers, for some here, uh, when we start speaking of such things, it is incredibly hard. Uh, Perhaps for you, the experience of your own father is filled not with joyful memories, but painful ones, or regrets, or shame, or even fear. And there will be some here amongst us, and I know there are, who have lost fathers, and the talk of faithful fathers is incredibly hard. Well, to you, as we look at this, uh, I encourage you to hear the word of your God from Hosea, who says, "'In me the fatherless find compassion.'" In me they find the compassion of a father. Your God in heaven is your heavenly father. But for others, as we talk about our faithful fathers, perhaps some mums here this morning, uh, talk of such things is again incredibly hard. Uh, Perhaps your husband is not walking by faith. Uh, Perhaps you're a single mum or separated. And talk of faithful fathers is, is a bit like having your face pressed up against the glass of something that perhaps you wish you had. Well, let me encourage you again to hear the words that we will hear this morning in Hebrews eleven twenty one as encouragement to you as a parent. Uh, you carry a huge load. Uh, but living the way we will speak of as a mum, just the same as, as a dad, will have a huge impact on your children. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, one of the wisest and most mature Christians I know, a guy by the name of Scott, uh, he was raised by a Christian mum. Uh, Dad wanted nothing to do with the faith. Uh, You can have a huge impact as a Christian mum. A couple more caveats. I suspect uh, for some already you're starting to think, ah, good, here's a sermon all about parents and fathers of which I am not. Uh, I'm not a mum or a dad. I don't have children. So here is where I switch off. Uh, Well, to you I say, no. (laughs) Uh, Hebrews 10.24, one of the most stirring verses in Hebrews, says this to us. Let us consider one another, uh, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Your job, if you are not a mum or a dad uh, this morning, is to consider those around you. How can you spur them on in this task of faithful parenting? Now, one final caveat, and that is to the dads here. Uh, You may feel, as we look at faithful fatherhood, Uh, that the horse has bolted, uh, that it's too late. 
or you uh, may have an experience of being a father that is filled with regrets about the way you've gone about it. Uh, well, to you I say, that there is not a father here who doesn't think that they have failed as a father along the way. Uh, my experience of being a father now for eight years is filled with uh, just those moments. Uh, my daughter Jamie, just a few weeks ago, uh, said this. I overheard her speaking with, uh, with Finn. They were talking about what we were going to do on a Saturday, which is the day that I get to spend a decent time with them. Uh, she said this, Saturday is the only day where we get to share Dad with other people. Now, that's their view of me. I'm the guy who turns up on Saturday. And then there was Finn a few years ago on a holiday. We're walking together in a park. He's telling me something, talking to me about something, and I'm sort of nodding and saying yes and hmm at appropriate points while I stare intently at my iPhone, desperate to find out what the score is in the cricket. (laughs) And he uh, tapped me on the shoulder as I'm doing this, going hmm, yes. And he said, Dad, you know, I feel completely alone when you look at that. Uh, It's an incredible moment. It's still burnt in my memory as a dad. There is not a dad here who won't feel a failure. So as we look at these things together, we're not looking at them as people who are trying to better each other. And so as to the fathers who feel like failures, to you and to myself, I say, remember the gospel of grace. And hear the call of uh, God in Philippians 3.14 when he says, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead, Hebrews here is a word not for yesterday but for today. Today, hear the exhortation to be a faithful father and don't harden your heart to it. And so with uh, those many caveats uh, in place, uh, let's turn to this one verse together. Hebrews 11.21. Let me read it for you. By faith, Jacob, uh, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. The story of Jacob in the scriptures is the story of a man with two great passions. He wholeheartedly loves his God and he wholeheartedly loves his family. Now again, in case you're about to switch off and go, great, you're going to show me a Mr. Perfect, a perfect father. Remember this, if you know anything of Jacob's story, you know he is far from perfect. Uh, He is a scoundrel, almost from birth. And uh, perhaps his worst moment is his uh, constant favoritism amongst his sons. Uh, it was Joseph, his, one of his youngest sons, who, he favor- who was his favorite. He blessed him. He showered gifts on him to the point that uh, we're told in Genesis 37 that uh, Joseph would start saying to his brothers, you know, I've had dreams about you all. The dreams go like this. Uh, you all bow down to me. You can imagine amongst brothers that such dreams don't go down well. As it turns out, the dreams were correct, but not helpful. Uh, Eventually his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt and they faked his death. They covered this spectacular coat that his father had given him in animal's blood and then gave it to their father saying, your son is dead. A horrible moment for a father. Genesis 37 verse 34, we're told that Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He wept for his son, we're told, for a long time refusing to be comforted, saying, I will mourn to the grave. And again, I know some here who know the grief of losing a child. Uh, It is a deep-seated grief unlike any other, I suspect. Uh, But some of those here who know that grief all too well also know that they grieve as those who have hope uh, that your children died in the Lord. And what a moment it's going to be when you see them again. 
I imagine it will be a bit like the moment that we have captured for us in uh, the scriptures in Genesis 46 where we pick up the story of Jacob. Uh, Some 20, 30 years on from that moment that he was told that his son had died, 20, 30 years living with that grief. And when he hears the incredible news that his son that he thought was dead is alive and he's just about to meet him. Can you imagine that reunion? I know some of you long for it. Well, here it is in Genesis 46, verse 29. We're told Joseph hugged his dad and then a repeat of the words that we heard back in Genesis 37 and they wept for a long time. Very different tears though this time, tears of joy. Jacob finally arrives in Egypt where by this stage Joseph is a significant player. His son Joseph is uh, really in charge, uh, reunited with his son at the age of 130. And buoyed by this reunion, he lives for another 17 years until we come to the point that we have in our verse. It's captured uh, well in Genesis 48, where we're told that uh, one day Joseph, busy at the task that he has, gets the call, uh, the call he dreads. His father is dying. And so he rushes with his sons to his father's bedside. Uh, We're told in Genesis 48, verse 1, that Jacob is on the edge of death, and yet in verse 2, somehow he summons the energy as his son arrives. And then there's this, Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Four simple verbs, four simple verbs that describe faithful fatherhood. Uh, let's look at each of them briefly. First, he is a man who's dying. A father is dying in this scene. It is a sombre scene and there were tears. But it is a remarkable scene as well. As you look at Genesis 48, it is not a man dying in fearful retreat or uncertainty or regret or anger, but in sure and certain hope. Here is a man dying by faith, dying sure of what he is hoping for and certain of what he cannot see. And we hear it in his dying words in Genesis 48. They're not words filled with the story of his life. Let me tell you all the things I've done. No, he speaks of a much bigger story. The story that his little life has been caught up in. The story of the blessing that God is bringing to his family and all the generations to follow. The story of Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. The story that will follow down their line. The story that we know goes all the way to Jesus. The story of blessing that will come to this world. Blessing of being God's people again in his place with him. At peace with our God. He speaks of that. He doesn't speak of regrets or wrong actions and there's been plenty of them. He doesn't because he knows that along the way God's gracious faithfulness has outlasted all of that. Here is a man, uh, an imperfect man, yes, but who dies as he has lived, trusting the promise of his God, trusting that beyond even death there is a, a better country, as we've seen in Hebrews 11, a better country. That's what he's looking forward to. Dying, we're told, in Egypt here as an alien and a stranger miles away from that better country. Uh, He is dying by faith, dying sure that that promise will be fulfilled. And I reckon as we look on at Jacob's dying faith, we need to ask ourselves, how much more us, how much more do we have cause to die by faith given the hope we have in Jesus Is there a more magnificent testimony in this world to the mighty power of the gospel than a Christian who dies by faith? Who at the moment uh, of uh, their death is more alive than any other in this world? 
Even though all these sort of earthly props have given way, all that's left is this refined and golden faith that stares down death and says with Paul in Philippians 1, to die is gain. Now do your worst death. All you can possibly achieve is to bring me face to face with my Lord who loves me and is not ashamed to be called my God and has prepared a city for me. So let me ask you this morning, fathers and parents and all of us, are you ready to die by faith? Now, the way to prepare yourself to die as Jacob dies here is to live as he lived, utterly dependent on God's gracious and faithful purposes. Now, you cannot die by faith until you stop living as a self-made, self-empowered person. Now, you can't die by faith until you live as you really are, a dependent and needy sinner who is desperate for God's grace and you come to him for it. Uh, That's what Jacob had done earlier in his life. In in Genesis 32, we're told that Jacob wrestled with God. He said, I will not leave you until you have blessed me. Till I am in the place of your pleasure, your favour. I'm not leaving here until that is done, until we have done that business together. He named that place simply the place where I came face to face with God and did not die. The Bible makes clear for us that there is only one place where we can meet with God and find such blessing. The place where his favour rests on us, even in death. And that is at the foot of the cross. The one who is ready to die by faith is the one who lives by faith at the foot of that cross. And so let me ask you, do your children, uh, your grandchildren perhaps, know how confident you are of God's blessing because of Jesus? Until we have met face to face with Jesus at the cross, until we have seen in his death and resurrection our only hope in the face of death, until we know that, well, as fathers and as parents and as grandparents, no worthwhile blessing will come from us to our children. Which brings us to the second thing that Jacob did, and that is, as a father, he blessed. You see it there in Genesis 48, verse 2. He hears Jacob and his sons Manasseh and Ephraim arrive to visit his deathbed. He rallies himself to bless these boys. That's a wonderful picture. Here is a scene of, for, I think, for faithful grandparents this morning who long to see their children's children walk with the Lord. At Genesis 48, Jacob says to Joseph, from now on your boys will be my boys. I want them in this line of blessing. He says in Genesis 48 verse 16, May God bless these boys. May they be called by my name. May they have the same blessings that Abraham and Isaac and now me, Jacob, enjoy. I want these boys to know the story of God's relentless purpose to bless them. I want them to be lined up in that path of blessing. I want it to come down this family line. I want them to know who they are. Inheritors of this blessing that God intends to spread to the whole world. And I want them to know no day without that hope. It's remarkable, isn't it? When you step back from this scene in Egypt, Joseph by this stage had it all as a man and as a father. He was hugely popular in Egypt, hugely prosperous. And yet it is his father who comes as a beggar in this scene who is the one who blesses. Here is faithful fatherhood, ambitious for his children. And not for some earthly fading prize, but for a share in this better country. Again, how much more us, who have in Jesus a hope that nothing can steal? Or may we as fathers and parents and grandparents and even as a church family be those who bless our children in this way. Our job is simple. Our job is to lead our children into the path of blessing. 
that the God who promised Abraham and promised Jacob and was fulfilled in Jesus, that that blessing will come to our children too. We should be parents who literally want our children to have it all. And so let me ask you this morning, have you considered the ways you try to bless your children? And what blessings are you ambitious that they enjoy? Truth is, our children can have it all. They can nail the A-levels. They can excel at university. They can conquer the sporting world or the business world. They can be well-liked, well-regarded, healthy, happily married. They can have a house in the country to holiday in. They can have all of this and absolutely blow life. Miss the point completely. Our job is to lead our children to the place of blessing. It is why he gave us children. And for me, this is why I think we need to realise that it is home, our homes, where this will happen. The home is the single most important influence on my children. It is where I show them what I consider to be a blessing and pass it on to them. It is where I have opportunity to lead them into that path of blessing. The home is the arena for running faith. Uh, Running faith in the details of normal life. It's in the way I love my children the way I discipline them, the way I instruct them, the way I guide them. And it's not to come up with endless plans and structures, but it's about real life. Uh, Choosing to be interested enough in my children to enter into their lives, their worlds, and speak the gospel there. Now this for me is why Finn's rebuke in that park cut me to the heart. It is Deuteronomy 6, isn't it? Talk to them along the way, and there I am on the phone. Now who cares what the score is in the cricket? Who cares how tired you are? Who cares how important you think your job is? Uh, We could not have in those moments a more important job than leading our children to the place of blessing, leading them to Jesus. It's hard work. It's exhausting uh, to deliberately spend time with our children in the word and prayer, for that is where they will hear the word of that promise, to bring them face to face with their God in that word. Let me say, beyond the vow this morning to try harder as parents, if we want to know where the energy will come to do this, to live this way, to be a source of blessing to our children, it comes from our own walk with the Lord, our worship. That's the third thing that Jacob is doing. You see it there. He is worshipping. Jacob's blessing in Genesis 48 comes out of the overflow of his own heart. It's not manufactured, it's not mechanical, it's not rehearsed. It's just his own experience of the Lord. Now have a look. They're wonderful words in Genesis 48, 15 and 16. Personal words of a man who has met his gracious God face to face, who wants to speak about that to his family. His son and his grandchildren hear of a man who worships the God who is gracious and faithful and present. Faithful generation after generation. Faithful, a God who, as we're told in those verses, has been his shepherd even to today. The God who has been his protector, his redeemer. Well, here's a challenge for you. How old are you this morning? You don't need to answer that out loud. Perhaps it's impolite. But he is 147. 147 and he's still worshipping The vicissitudes of life haven't sort of snatched his joy away. I'm sure he's creaking and groaning. His earthly tent is about to collapse, but he's still worshipping. He worships God convinced of God's worth, his sufficiency, his preciousness, his goodness. This is true worship. This is a man who has wrestled with God until he knew the blessing and now rejoices in that. 
Faithful worship is a life lived face to face with God in every detail of life. Every detail of life is now weighted with the fact that I'm in the presence of the Lord. And so here's the question. One that I've asked myself all week. Do my children know that I am a worshipper in all of life? Do they know me as a man who walks face to face with God and for his glory? Or am I just the guy who worships God for a living? That's my job. Or the guy who worships God for an hour and a quarter in the week and then gets on with real life, which seems more worthwhile. Do my children see me face to face with my God? And do they see me in word and prayer? And not in a rehearsed way, but just in the normal run of life. And what would my children say I love if you were to ask them? What would they say I treasure? What would they say is my great reward, my shield? What would they say is my non-negotiable, that nothing moves? If I die today, what kind of legacy have I left my children as a worshipper? Would my children know how faithful God has been to me? Would they know Jesus is my shepherd even to this day, that he is my redeemer? Would the excellence of my God be seen by my children as a result of my joy in him? I finished preparations this week realising what a precious but precarious job we have as parents. Each choice, each word, each action adds to the legacy I leave them. The whole of my life is the arena of worship and they're watching. I wonder what they see. One final aspect of Jacob's faithful fatherhood and that is leaning. Do you see it there? Let me read the verse again. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. A leaning on his staff, the writer to the Hebrews has put the detail in deliberately. It matters. It's an important detail because this staff was symbolic of Jacob's whole journey with the Lord. It was with this staff that he had crossed the Jordan led by his shepherd God. Uh, With this staff that that had marked the moment when he came face to face with God, he'd limped since. Uh, With this staff that he gripped now and leant upon it as a 147-year-old man, still on the journey, still on the way to this better country. That's why he's got the staff in his hand. He's still travelling. And we're told that when Jacob died, Joseph wept and held his dad. And then he gathered up his father's belongings. I wonder, do you reckon he kept the staff? I reckon so, for he knew what it meant. He knew his dad longed for this better country. In fact, the days that followed when Joseph had the job of arranging the funeral, he had been told by his father, bury me in Canaan, bury me in the better country where we've been promised. Now, wonderfully, his son Joseph, when he came to the end of his life, as we'll see tonight, when his death loomed, gives the same instructions, bury my bones there in the better country. His dad's final thought as he leant on his staff, follow the shepherd, head for home, and his son follows. As we close, what a thought. Now let this inspire you. To be one who dies so sure of God's word of promise to you, so confident of this heavenly country, that the steps that your children take after you are steps journeying to that same place. What are we leaving our children And what legacy, what reward to look forward to, what inheritance? Well, let the legacy we leave be a life that leans heavily on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
a life leaning heavily on the gracious, death-proof promise of a city to come, secured by the very blood of our Saviour. Now, brothers and sisters, this is an incredibly high calling, persevering faith. Now, be encouraged and exhorted by the example of Jacob. Uh, Don't be crushed by him. God, in his kindness, I reckon, has given us a very flawed man by way of example. It would take a lot of work to mess your family up as much as Jacob did. He walked by faith through grace, not merit. And so forget what is behind and be faithful today. Realize your heavenly Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has given you every spiritual blessing you will need to walk this way. Well, let's pray together. Father God, as we look here at this faithful Father in his last moments, we look beyond him to you, our faithful Heavenly Father, who has promised blessing to us in Jesus, that every promise you made has been fulfilled in him. We do pray that you would cause us as a church family and as parents and as fathers especially this morning to be so confident and sure of those promises in Jesus that you would cause us to run the race faithfully as parents. We pray this for our children's sake, but beyond that, we pray it for your glory's sake. Amen.